Welcome to Giving Grief a Voice, hosted by Maureen Desmond. Maureen is founder of Navigating Through Loss, a grief coaching and consulting business that guides and supports people through significant change and loss. In this podcast, Maureen and each of her guests explore their own real-life loss journeys and the various paths that led them through pain to find meaning in their struggles and to face their personal fears and emotions. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm here with my brother, Michael Desmond, to talk about the tragic death of our beloved sister, Kathleen, who died in a car accident at the age of only 18. Now, 38 years after her death, Michael will give voice to his own personal lens and experience of loss at the raw age of only 14 years old, just as he was entering his freshman year of high school. Michael's story is a look back and through the effects our sister's death had on the various stages of his life. Okay, so good morning, Michael. Good morning. <sighs> I want nice. I, I know we both need deep breaths right now. I want to first honor you for your courage and your openness to talk about what was one of the most devastating experiences for our family. And it's been 37 years. And we know that grief and loss is not easy to talk about, and it can be a taboo topic for many people. But that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about this and your journey through this, because it will help so many of our listeners. And mainly because we're taking it all the way back to when you were 14, going on 15, and you we lost our sister tragically in a car accident. And now you're in your early 50s, and you've gone through the journey of grief. And I think that through this journey, you're really going to have some really you know, tough times that you went through, but you're also going to showcase how you found joy and meaning again. And that is the path that most people will take, but you don't know it when you're going through that first time, that first moment. So with that, I want to turn it over to you and just start right there at that moment. What are some of the thoughts or the memories that you have when you found out that Kathleen had died? Well, I think I'll I'll start with that night, right? Where a, a lot of people don't even know this, but I mean, I, so Matthew, would, my you know our little brother, who was five years old, mm-hmm. and so we were in. I was in a house. My my dad had already moved out because of the divorce, mm-hmm. and it was just Matthew and I and my mom. So here's Matthew at five years old that comes into my room in the middle of the night. I think it was like at 2 a.m. And he woke me up and he's like, mom, mom, there's some stranger in mom's bed. And I said, Matthew, get, get back into bed. But you, you're dreaming. Oh, Go back to bed. And so he actually left the room again. And maybe he went and checked again. I don't know. Aww. But he came back and was like, yeah, mom, mom is not in. It's somebody else in mom's bed. Oh, my God. And so I got up and I, I walked in there. And it was, it was one of mom's friends. And she said, everything's fine. Just, just go back to bed. She didn't explain what, what had happened. Oh, boy. And so 
literally went walk and went back to bed and i i knew there was something not right right here I, you know I was, I was old enough to know better and right. of course my little brother i just i just um i put him back in his bed and i went back and just laid in bed and just in complete silence right mm-hmm. and i do remember like getting up and looking outside it was an august you know august evening so you could still hear the cicadas mm-hmm. you know chirping and you could and it was sort of like there was there was a little bit of fog in the air and I just, um, so I, but I laid back in bed and kind of just waited and, and just barely breathing, barely breathing. And then I think it was probably an hour, maybe a couple hours later that I heard them come home and it was mom and dad and they were just bawling. Oh gosh. And I think Mrs., you know, our, our, her friend was bawling. Everyone was crying. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was scared to death because I didn't know. You know who who it was, oh. and I I knew it was one of my I knew I knew it was one of my sisters. Yeah. Oh. I didn't know which one. Well, what a tragic, tragic thing to. Have. So literally, so literally, I kind of thought I had to just I laid there all night. And, I, and they came up a couple times to see if I was awake, and I just pretended I was asleep. Oh, oh Michael, so, that's I'm so, so. I'm sorry. It's so normal to f- release so, this and want to release it. it was, I didn't. It was almost I had to process whose death it was. Each sister. Oh my gosh, that's torturous. How torturous! And so I did. I, I laid there just in silence. And just, I, I don't think I breathed hardly. Oh my gosh. And so, it was a strange night. Like, literally, there was a spider next to my bed. And it was almost like there was a spider spinning a web next to my bed. Oh my goodness. And I watched this spider spin this web. And it was like, it was almost like it was a reflection on life itself. Yes. And I've never, I mean, who's ever seen a spider's web (laughs) next to their bed? I mean, it's the most bizarre thing in your, you know, like this web is going to be thick, right? Almost like. And, um, Mm. yeah, it was, it was very strange night. So literally I got up. I got up that morning, not having slept at all. Right. And I just, I just like, I was like, I don't know whether I was just trying to hold on to. Not knowing. Not knowing my innocence, my childhood. Right. But I went and took a shower. I went and took a shower. <clears throat> and you know, basically just got dressed and walked downstairs like it was a normal day. Wow. And and mom was in the, uh, in the kitchen and she wasn't, she wasn't crying anymore. Maybe she was, you know, done crying all night. I don't remember, but she basically was, you know, said without really many, much emotion that, that, you know, Kathleen was in a car accident and had died. Oh my goodness. 
man. Um, I just, you know, I don't even think we touched each other. Yeah. I just, I mean, it was pretty much, I mean, at that point I was just numb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Completely, I mean, no emotion, didn't cry. Yeah. I hadn't cried. I didn't, I hadn't cried all night. You know, I just, I knew something terrible had happened, but I just laid there. Yeah. And then that morning it was like, and then dad came and, and he was with the police officer, probably for his support system. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember just wanting to go back upstairs and get into bed because I was exhausted, you know, and I really just needed to know. And then I was just ready to go back to bed. And so yeah. you know, dad came in and I remember him hugging me mm-hmm. um, Wow. and being, emo- and being and crying and being emotional. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have any emotion. And so I went back and laid in bed. And then I think, you know, the next thing I know, like other people arrived, I think, I think maybe you came and I think I remember my brother-in-law showing up. Mm-hmm. And then later, later that day, or later that morning, a bunch of my friends sh- showed up. Well, that's oh my goodness! As big as a big group, yeah, yeah. And that was that was a nice, you know, that felt, that made me feel real good. Of course, of course, you that's know. one of the things that you have such a wonderful support system from your yeah. friends at that time. But I want to step back for a second. First of all, thank you so much for sharing such a traumatic experience. We're brother and sister. We're really close. We share everything. And I have never heard that story. And I can't even imagine how torturous that was for you. And so thank you. Thank you for going to that raw place. And um expressing that yeah that was uh that was tough oh, I don't my think goodness it, I, don't, I mean yeah not not many not many people know that no the details no. of that because it's so painful for me exactly so. and you know there's so much from that day and of course you know everything in your life kind of pauses and we go on and do the funeral and and all of those activities where there's some memories that come to us very easily and and so many things that we don't even remember right about that day otherwise and you had mentioned your friends that showed up and I want to kind of hone in on that just because you're 14 going on 15 and you had four, five, six friends that lived right across the street who were your buddies. And for them to know what we were going through as teenagers and being brave enough to come over and just be there for you is is really a special thing. You know? Tell me a little bit more about that and and what impact that had on you in that moment and then later on even. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, this was a gang that I hung out with, you know, we rode our bikes together. We, this is a remote area where we lived. So it wasn't like going into town. It was, you know, your friends were 
whoever was close by. And we had a little gang of, of, of friends that lived across the street in a, in a, in a neighborhood. And, and we were, we grew up together and we just, you know, we rode our bikes together. We camped together. We, we did everything together. And even though most, well, even though all of them went to a different school than I did, they were a huge support system for me. And, and just being there, not even saying anything. Most of them couldn't say anything, right? right. And what can, what can you say when you're 14 years old or younger? I mean, some of these some of these guys were a couple years younger than me. Yes. You know, so they were 12. Oh my gosh. And and but they were just there as a gang to support me. Oh. And it was it was a good feeling. Um, it was a good feeling. What a beautiful thing to do, you know. I mean, I'm sure they yeah. weren't even thinking that that way, and how much that would even yeah. mean to you. But the fact that they showed up, where a lot of times people get kind of uh, they're afraid to come forward and afraid to come right. over and say anything because they might say the wrong thing or they don't know what to say. So you go through this isolation almost. And here you have your posse of, of guy friends that show up and. And these guys have shown up for everything for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've been, you know, we've been best, best men in our, each other's weddings oh. and we've, you know, some, we're still friends to this day. Some of us are, are really true friends yes. that we've, we've had and we, and it's something they'll never let go of. Right. Best friends forever. Best friends. And here we are 51 years, you know, 51 years old and, and we still talk all the time and one of the gentlemen I work with and oh. it's it's something that is is pretty impressive that and most people don't have a bond like that with with friends like that absolutely but maybe that did it you know maybe that maybe that really you know solidified that that friendship yes we all need friends like them a huge shout out to them and those are those are the moments and the things that get us through grief. Yeah. Those are really yeah. the standout things and they do more for people than you'd ever imagine. And we know. And, and it was just really a matter of being able to hang out and they didn't really, I mean, they didn't, of course they never knew what to say or do, but they were there as my soundboard. They were there for me to be upset, for me to get mad, for me to get, you know, mm -hmm. and they dealt with my, my craziness through my teenage years mm -hmm. that was caused by this really my my emotional outbursts or or my rage at times and they stayed with me they were my they were my friends even though sometimes i may have punched them in the face mm -hmm. right i mean and it was really you know that's how they helped me through it yes you know, they dealt with it and they stayed stayed by my side maybe because they knew i needed it I need, you know, needed it more than anything else is just for them to be, be there and not say anything, say anything. Absolutely. And then those friends of mine ended up losing another person in the neighborhood in less than a year later, another girl at 16 years old in a car accident. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right across the street from us. And they went to school with her. They went to the same high school together. Some of those people were best friends with her. Wow. And that, Again, me being already have gone through that, mm -hmm. this gang of people, this gang of, of girls and guys, hopefully was able to give a little bit back to them and support them through it. 
or at least be there and know what they're going, they were going through. Right. Right. And just, I think just me being there and I remember one of the guys like completely emotionless, just like I was mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Until he saw me because he knew, oh. I knew, oh. I knew what he was going through. One of the, it was one of the brothers. Oh my gosh. So it was like, they lost their sister. I lost my sister. Yes. And then one of my good friends, his female friends of her, was, was her best friend. We ended up just being the best friends mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. And really each other's support system because we had that tie and it bonded us. It is that bond of loss and grief that is like nothing else, right? You've just, you've just gave, given some ex- great examples of that because once you experience loss and the emotions and all of the other exponential things that play into it as well. Because sometimes our lives aren't in a great place anyway. Like our family and our parents, you had mentioned early on, they were going through a divorce at the time that we lost Kathleen. And so we were already going through change. And so grief and loss creates that. And but, and when you go through this, you tend to almost attract or find those same people that need you. That's right. And then you are the helpers or the support system or the navigators for those people. And it goes on and on. And I always say it's like grievers pass it on because it's really that support system that we need. That's It's sort of a silent thing until you come upon someone else that's been through it and you kind of even pick up on characteristics or certain things that they're, they seem like they've had a loss. We've talked about that over the years where it's like, you just know when somebody's suffering and as hard as it is, and no one ever wants to go through this because of how painful it can be. There's this other side of it where we're all there for other people. And we need that. Yeah, it is interesting that it's almost like a personality trait that changes when you have that loss. And through my life, I mean, I have, you do pick up on that. You find people that are like, gosh, there's something about him that's sort of like me. Mm -hmm. Like there's, and then you find out they had loss early on their, in their life, or they had just recently gone through a tragedy and you're like, gosh, I, you can almost sniff it out. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very it's very interesting to be to have that ability. Yeah, and it, it does mold people, mm-hmm. you know, into different their own person, you know, personal traits. Absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about what other activities and things were going on in your life at the time. We've mentioned mom and dad's divorce and going through that as an experience, but you know, you were going into your freshman year of high school. What was it? Did you go right back to school? I mean, Kathleen's funeral was over Labor Day weekend and school started, right? Were you right back at school? It it did start. I was supposed to be back that Monday or maybe, I guess, Tuesday. And to be honest, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if I was back that week or the following week. Yeah. You know, it's already a, a difficult time in your life when you're going from eighth grade and into ninth grade into the high school. Right. And then my thing was, 
I don't remember when I went back, but when I did get back, the most difficult thing was seeing her friends that she, even though she had graduated, she still had friends that were juniors and, and, and other people. Mm -hmm. And I would just make people cry in the hallway just by passing them. Oh my goodness. And so it was, it was a terrible, terrible time period. And there was no support system from teachers, from counselors, from a lot's been learned along through the years. But you think it's like 37 years ago, we didn't have a support system in the schools and the counselors were there there to tell you what classes to take. I mean, it was, uh, it's just nobody knew what to say or do. Right. And it was like life had to go on like normal. And I wasn't ready for that. I was not ready. I wasn't ready for any of it. And now at 51, my parents didn't know what to do either. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, I, if you lose a child, how do you know? Like right. there's no, there's no handbook. You're not prepared for it. And there wasn't the support system or books, you know, maybe there were some books written on grief and, and things, but as far as the support system, it just wasn't there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you do kind of blame, you know, you're like, why weren't my parents, why didn't they help me? Why didn't they do that? Well, they were clueless and in pain themselves, right? right. So they, they didn't know. Right. And I don't think any of us knew where to turn because we were all going through our own grief, in our own state of numbness at this at this early stage, right? And literally, I don't remember much about being in school. I knew I, I knew I, the time where I started not going to school because I was in so much pain right. and didn't want to go and deal with deal with going to school and and feeling that. And my parents just thought I wanted to skip school. Yes. So it was sort of this vicious cycle of, and maybe I didn't even know how to explain my own feelings at that point, right? Because I didn't know. You don't know. You don't know. Of course. I mean, that's so normal to not, you're a 14 year old boy going back into a school that your sister was just at for four years. And We know Kathleen's personality. She was happy-go-lucky. She was everybody's friend. She was full of energy, full of life, had a great sense of humor. And so every teacher, every person at that school knew who she was. And then you walk in after just attending your sister's funeral and have to, have to, you had to be a support system for everyone else. And here you're the yeah. one that lost a sister. And those are the, that's some of the reasons why these lists, our listeners are going to really un- try to understand and take this in that it's, it's not just losing someone and going to the funeral and getting on with your life. There's a yeah. lot more there. And, and yeah. with, when you have a family unit that kind of disperses as well, Colleen and I were in college and you guys were younger, you were going into high school, Matthew was going into elementary school, all of those things, we were spread out. And then our parents, they were grieving themselves, like you said. So there's such a a web, there's such a web of emotion and what's going on. Yeah. And my support system was at a different high school. That's right. All my friends. They were not with and, you. That's right. And I, they weren't with me. And I literally was, you know, I didn't have close friends. And 
at that point, it was almost hard to make friends because of that that tragedy. Because I mean, people don't even want to approach you, and the people that do approach you are are crying. So I mean, uh, you know, and and tend to bend. You know, it was mostly the females that were doing that. Her friend, her her female friends. Yeah. The guys, you know, really didn't you know do that, but maybe maybe a few of them. And I got to the point where I just didn't want to go back to school. And so they did, they did take me out of Damascus and they tried to put me in a middle school down in Germantown. So literally they kind of took me away from my friends from, you know, this area and they took me down there to where my dad was living and put me at a middle school, which was sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So it wasn't even in high school. And I was I was only there for three days, but that was in in February. Was, yeah. Before I ended up going into the uh, into PI, the the, the psychiatric institute, That's which right. was I mean, and looking back, I mean, it, you know, my parents probably didn't have much of a choice, and our dad being the police officer, he probably had resources that said this is what you need to do if you're afraid, if you think he might hurt himself, and my parents didn't know. Right. I mean, uh, right. I mean, I, they were just scared. They were scared probably about losing another child. Right. At that point. Oh, you know? Exactly. This so this was five months after Kathleen died, and you are just really just struggling in school, and rightly so. And stand back and give yourself a deep breath and the courage, Michael, that <laughs> that you had to have with no support. I mean the blessing in disguise of PI was that it was almost like you could take a little bit of a time out from the the craziness of the world because the world just keeps rushing by. And when you've had a loss, this significant, you need to slow down. You sort of go on an island by yourself in a way, in a sense. So tell me more about that experience, if you can be open about that or whatever you're willing to share about that experience going into PI. Yeah. I mean, I think from the grief, it moved from the shock to the numbness to anger. And I was an angry, angry person. And I don't know that I was a danger to myself or others, but I was just, I was very angry. And that was my, that was sort of my emotional relief, hit something, punch something, not, not necessarily a person, but objects or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And that was how I was dealing with it because I was so angry. And I was angry at my parents and I was angry at my sister and I was angry at myself. And I was like thinking that we somebody could have done something to stop this from happening. Now, why did it happen? You know, there, there's that blame game of, so yeah, who, you know, who was responsible? Who was, who to blame? And it, it's, not, it's not fair to do that, but as that, you know, as a teenager, that's what I was doing. Of course. And I was super, just super angry with mom and dad. And going back, I had, I'd gone to school, Martin Luther King, I think it was, for three days. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to see my friends. So I think mom picked me up or something. And I came up and hung out with my friends. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I don't, I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back. I wanted to stay up there. And I barricaded myself in my room. I put furniture up against the door and mom and dad banged on the door and, you know, said all the things that, and I didn't need to come out and I needed to, and at that point, I think they decided that, you know, they, they probably needed me put 
take me and put me somewhere that I could get help. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was not about to, to do this voluntarily. So right. I, next thing I know, there's like six police in the hallway. And the, oh my it was, goodness. It was, just, yeah, it was not pretty. So I eventually opened the door because I think they were starting to like take it down anyways. And so I, I came out and they took me to PI in a, in a police car. Wow. <laughs> so you were, you were, I'm imagining you kicking and screaming. <laughs> it didn't sound like this was something that you wanted, obviously. And I had literally thought about trying, like I checked the door to see if like I could like, as this came to a stop sign, roll out and oh run. I literally thought gosh. about doing that, but... I guess they have almost have like the child safety locks so that, that you can't open the door from the inside. Oh my goodness. Thank <laughs> good for them. Yes. Good for them. Oh my gosh. You were in such pain. You were in such yeah. pain. Yeah. And oh. in, in, in a way you're running almost physically running from it, yes. mentally running from it, but physically running from it and just not knowing which way to go. Right. So yeah, I entered PI and there's like a check in process. I remember it was um, Valentine's day. Mm-hmm. When I checked in and they check your body, make sure you don't have any drugs and sharp objects and nothing could be anything that could be used for suicide because I guess there were suicide people in there. Right. So it was like, wow. I mean, it was an eye opener. Right. To be, enter into that space. And there was, I think there was maybe 30 kids in this unit. Okay. And this was like a this was like a mixed unit. There were some they had some people that had some drug use issues, but it wasn't severe. And then they had a whole wing that was all the drug use problems. Okay. So yeah, I was there reluctantly, mm-hmm. and and I was mad. I was very upset to, about having to be put in here. Right. And and, and it, you know, it didn't take me long to figure out that. I didn't really have a choice <laughs> in the matter that I couldn't leave here mm-hmm. and that I had to sort of like, all right, well, I'm here. Now you have to kind of figure out what, you know, what you need to do. And it was, it was a blessing. It was a blessing because it, it hit the pause button. It stopped the, it stopped that life from happening life from on that train that, that you really need to be able to, to look at your issues and try to figure them out. Right. And try to help yourself. Now, of course, there was a community of kids there that were just like me. Okay. And that was sort of the atmosphere that was created by this place to, and it was and to help each other, peers one-on-one, the group sessions, to be able to hear other people's issues. And some were more severe than, or more tragic than ours, right? Right. Or just the way some of these people's lives were tragic in lots of different ways. Yes. But it was intense. It was a lot of therapy, a lot of group sessions, one-on-one with your psychiatrist or social worker. And then they did family therapy as well. Okay. And it taught me a lot. It taught me, I did have to write in a journal every day. And one of the things I did do was go back and look at that journal a little bit to remind me of what what was emotionally I was going through Wow. at, at that stage. How was right? that going back to the journal? It was, I, I got a little choked up reading some mm-hmm. of it because it made things come back that I was like, wow, I really was, I really was angry. And rightly and, so. <laughs> yeah. But you could see at the beginning, even mom and dad didn't really know what to do in these family sessions. Right. Like, mom didn't talk about things. 
dad was like, all they did was scream at each other. Oh no. And then towards like, Day 30, here I was in this place for two months. Go figure. Wow. Um, See, I don't even remember yeah. the timeline. I remember getting the yeah. call about you on Feb- on Valentine's Day. but I. Ironically, if you have good health insurance, you can stay there for two months, right? And dad had the Montgomery County <laughs> Police Health Insurance. Oh, thanks, dad. So, but there was people in there that were burning themselves with those cigarettes and they were out in 10 days. Oh, so Because they didn't have insurance. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a broken system and we, that's a different topic, but you know, 20, 30 days in mom, I can, I, I'm like, yeah, we had a actually good, good session. Yep. Mom seemed to accept some of the things I was saying mm-hmm. you know, and, and dad's talking about me coming down there and living with him and what he could do. And so that things had taken a turn it, because things had to stop. And life doesn't give that to you. You know, nowadays you have a loss and you have, oh, here's here's your three days of leave for your funeral and you're grieving and, and then it's time to get back to work. Yes, I know. What a broken system that we have that we can, as human beings, identify that death of a loved one takes more time than three days. Absolutely. You know? Yes. And there has to it's be like, better support systems and such. And and just like you can take three saying, months off for a childbirth. Right. But you can't take three days for a, a death in the family. Right. Like what's impacting you more for your mental health? Right. I mean, yeah, a, a child being born, it definitely need help at the home and it, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But death in the family, three days and get over it and get back to work and be productive. Anyway, I you know. No, I, I'm glad that you share that because that is a very real and true reality. And through the work that I do, most places or people commonly get that three days of leave or maybe a week and sometimes try to extend it. But even with some of the policies in place today, whether you take family leave for 12 weeks, we are hearing on this call on this podcast, as well as all the things that we've dealt with in our lives and others losing people in their lives, there's just not enough time and we need support and support helps us get through. So going back to your experience at PI and being in there for two months, you had started out by saying it really was a blessing. And those are things that who knows what would have happened if you didn't have that? And right. mom and dad, at the time, we thought they were crazy to be doing this to you when we were all just in so raw already. But in hindsight, it was the best thing they could have done. And it sounds to me like they even got a lot out of it because right, of the, the structure of it. So that was a gift and that was a blessing, even though no one really wants to do that. No, no. And and I was ready to leave about after 30 days, but it did teach me a lot. It taught me that I'm resilient, mm-hmm. that I, I and some self-respect, mm-hmm. which I think is very, very important to make it through any tragedy because mm. if you can't rely on others and you have to be have this internal strength and resilience, you have to have self-respect and you have to almost be able to love yourself. Absolutely. You know, and Great say, point. I'm, I'm going to make it through this, this tragedy. 
and personal drive. And, and then in this environment, they had like a, it was almost like a, a ranking system where you have secretary and your vice president, your president, and okay. this ranking officers that were part of the community. And I remember when I first got there, there was a gentleman named JJ and he was the president. Okay. Gentlemen, he was a boy. I mean, he was a boy. Right. He was a fifteen-year-old boy. Right. But he was almost like a man to me because he was president of this place, Aww. and he was pretty much had been there thirty days as well. And he was on his way out and had worked through his problems. And I had so much respect for him. And then at thirty days in, I was president. <gasps> oh my goodness! Yeah. I became president of the community, and it gave me this respect for myself. And then others looking up to me. Yes. And I remember this one girl had just gotten there and she sat in the corner. She had long, dark hair. And I had been there for probably 30 days plus, And she had just gotten introduced to the group. And she like for three or four days, she sat over in this corner all day long with her hair flopped over the front of her face. It was like the thing. All you could see is this hair down the front of her face. She was wow. completely hiding from everyone. She was hiding. And so every, oh, every day I went over there and I, I would sit next to her and I would just talk to her. Mm-hmm. And then she never said anything to me for, for days, mm. for days. And I just said, look, Swanchaleo, we're here. We're here to support you. And we all have had tragedy. And I you know, told her my story. And it was like day four or five that she actually I was talking to her and I was like a few minutes in and her, she pulled her hair back from her face and she had this pretty face, right? And she actually told me the story of what had happened to her and why she was there. Oh, you got through to her. You got through to her. I did. And so it shows you that tragedy gives you that strength mm-hmm. to be able to help others and to be able to help others like that, just it, it gets you through your own pain and struggles, right? It's, a, it's therapy. Yes. It's therapy. It is. And so she told me her story. And, and from then on, she was able to be part of group. And at that point, maybe she was able to hopefully start resolving her own issues. Right. Right. What um, a beautiful story. But, and yeah. just the the rawness of it all, you know, and thinking about all these other people that are in there for different or similar reasons. And you're all on this rock, standing on a rock, and the ocean's like coming at you, right? And everybody's holding on together. And that's kind yeah. of sometimes how I describe the journey of grief. You sort of yeah. said it. We need those people. We need those people that we're not even expecting to reach out to us, or we're put in situations where we meet other people that really get us. And yeah. it's so important to know that. And there really are silver linings through the grief journey, as we've heard from you today. I mean, you've been through heart-wrenching trauma in your early years, and you found your people. You found your rocks. You found your strength and your self-confidence. And it just gives, you know, so many of us hope even if you go through something like this, you can come out on the other side. And I had a couple other questions and you've been so open and raw about this. So thank you. You know, something just came to mind. If looking back now and you could say one thing or one sentence or one piece of 
advice or something to your younger self. So you're standing in front of Michael at 15 years old. What do you think you'd say to yourself? I think I would probably say that this tragedy is going to make you a stronger person. Mm -hmm. It's going to mold you into a, a man in the future that's going to be, you know, respected and strong and driven Mm -hmm. and for reasons that your sister would want. Oh, I love that. Tying it back to her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If she had, could speak to you, what would she say? She would say, stop crying. Stop crying about me. Stop being angry about me. Move on with your life and live each day like there's no tomorrow, like I did, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But live for me. Yes. Live, Live for me. And, and that's what you've done. Like that's right. why that, oh, I'm, I love that. I love that response because you've honored Kathleen through your journey. And that first year after loss of any kind is painful. And you went through your, that was your journey. And the journey continued. I mean, we had other losses in our family, some tragic again. And, but you, we keep picking up the pieces. You keep, picking up the pieces and that honors them in some way. Kathleen would absolutely be cheering us on, not saying, Oh good, you know, wallow in the corner, but it was a tragedy for us. We loved her and we couldn't imagine life without her. And you've really done such, such honor to her today. I wanted to ask, well, or, or kind of just make a little bit of a statement about the fact that we've heard about your early years in this tragedy. I know that you've done other things along the way to help people. And I'm thinking about the things that you've done for other teenage boys as you've become a father and some of your daughter's friends have lost their dads or had a loss. And you knew what they were going through. You felt it. So you started helping them doing things. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. It's interesting that history repeats itself in some ways, or it comes full circle at Mm -hmm. times. I was, you know, I've been a martial artist all my life and I started doing martial arts at an early age of, I think I was maybe 19. And one of, one of the reasons was to anger management Mm -hmm. and uh, get that physical anger out. And it actually really probably saved me in a lot of ways to be able to channel that into something that was physical, but controlled environment. So after doing that for many years and realizing it's how much it helped me, I just stayed with it. And then I started teaching a small group of, they were actually before they were even teenagers. I think they were like 12 years old in the, in the neighborhood here where I Mm -hmm. live. And we would just start, we started every Sunday and we did a couple hours of, of training. And it just gave me this purpose for one, teaching self-defense mm-hmm. and giving that release to other mm-hmm. people. Now, at that time, they had not gone through any any tragedy. And I only had like a, a group of four or five boys at, at, at any given time. But two of those boys both lost their father when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I knew I'd also lost a father at that mm-hmm. point at this point in my life when I was teaching. So I knew it was losing a father was all about. 
for personal reasons, but just the tragedy of loss right. and what they were going through. And we would train, but we'd also talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. And we would talk about the loss and we would make sure that I would not ignore the fact that they were going through pain. And I could see it in them physically. And sometimes I would hold them down on the mat and for a little bit longer so they would release. And sometimes they would just burst out yeah. crying oh. because I knew they just needed that outlet, you know? Oh, helping others. What a gift. So it was, it, it came full circle that you could help somebody through the tragedies of your right, past. Right, right. It was, it, it's something else. It, it was a very important time that I, time period that I yes. had. Yes. And now I just, I do some training with the, the police department, uh, people that are going through recruiters uh, that are trying to get into the police okay. department. So I always try to give back. Yes, you do. I don't do it full time, but I do it when I can. Absolutely. And, uh, and it always goes back to helping people through trauma, tragedy, and the tough stuff. That's right. And that is something that you have a gift. Yeah. Unfortunately, you have a gift around that. And I'm not an emotional person. This was emotional for me today. I was not ready for that. I just totally thought, well, gosh, this is going to kind of be boring. Oh, my gosh. Michael, your life is anything but boring. He has no feelings at all. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, when you have to rewind the reel and play it back, I think you can play it back in your head, but when you're saying it out loud, Mm. there's a different connection. I think that's a good point, too. It is. People... People think that they can get through something by talking themselves through Absolutely. it. And really, if you can say it out loud to somebody else, it's totally different. That's it's a totally different output of emotion. Yes, that's a great point. And there's a lot of research that's been done around grief recovery. A lot of people say there's no recovery, but there is some powerful stuff that when you write it down. And when you speak it out loud, that it really helps get through when people carry that grief for a long time, especially, there's a lot to be said about that. And so that's a great point. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. You know, this whole journey, I don't want to end it in the middle. I want to end it with just saying that I know you very well. Your sister, through all of the pain that we heard today, I'm sure there's some people going, oh my gosh, I would never be able to get through that. Or how did they get through that? So many people ask the question, will I forget my loved one? What if I forget my loved one? And as we know, we never forget them. And sometimes over time, you almost feel like they're even more present because they're always with you. They're always there. They're always with you. And you've had such a great, successful life. And I mean it in the way of the kindness and the ability to give to others. And you just, you celebrated your 25th wedding anniversary last year. You got married. You've had a beautiful marriage. You have two amazing daughters. One's almost 21 and one's almost 14. And they're kind people and they work hard and they do so well. And those are the gifts that you've given to our family and to the world. I mean, you picked up and you went on 
and your journey is just so amazing. And then your career has been successful. You started out working in a small business with someone and you did incredible things. And then you've taken those skill sets and gone on to do other things. And you're always a supportive brother for our family. So I just really want to say how much that means to us. And your openness and your courage today is just, you know, we need that. This will help people. This will change people's lives. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say to Kathleen, I mean, we do, we miss her every day. And we, we didn't think we'd make it without her. That's why we all went into our own ways. And you, yours was just as tragic. And she had wonderful friends and a wonderful life for 18 years. And we got to be a part of that with her. And so we're, we're yeah. blessed to have had that. Yeah. There's still this one gentleman who texts me on her birthday every year. Please tell me more about that. Yes. This was a like an old boyfriend of hers that I think they went to prom her junior year. I don't even think it was her senior year. And he actually became a police officer. And I remember you know, after her death that he would always visit. Mm. He would come by every couple months just to sit at the kitchen table with mom and myself and and just, just be there. Aww. And I think he realized at a very young age, I mean, he was young himself, mm-hmm. right? just a a year or two older, that it didn't stop after the flowers died. You know, the pain Mm -hmm. and the the suffering didn't stop after the flowers died. And literally, you know, he would come and just sit with us and talk. And then even I remember him, when he became a police officer and he would come visit after he became a police officer in a squad car. And to this day, to this day, I still get a text from him every birthday of Kathleen's. That is beautiful. And another enlightened young person that continues to support you, us, our family. Absolutely. To keep the memory memory alive. alive. We don't need the dates and and times Mm -hmm. told to us when Mm -hmm. the tragedy happened or when there's a significant (laughs) day, like a birthday, because it's, you don't even need a calendar. You could be in a cave (laughs) and your body reacts, you know? That's so true. Or it could be a sound like the. What do you What do you think I feel every time the cicada yes. every August the cicadas start chirping? Uh, I mean, it, it's an emotional. It's an audio tie to that emotional time. Absolutely. When they first start start making that noise, you're like, oh my gosh! It just it, it does take you it back. It does take you back. Absolutely, you know? it does. Well, is there anything else that you want to share before we end the call today, the podcast? There's so much to talk about. I mean, this specific tragic moment in time, obviously, it impacts your future and also the ability to deal with other tragedies and other loss in your life. And so we lost our father, too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in a way, it it prepared us for our feelings and our, and having that knowledge of what it was going to be like, even though you still go through the same, same things, you know, mm-hmm. you still have some tools in your toolbox that were from the last tragedy and the last loss that you can kind of go back to. And you're not, it doesn't shock right. you. It's not as, it just doesn't hit you as hard. Now that doesn't mean other tragic things 
couldn't be right. worse, right? Or other loss couldn't be worse. But with that first tragic loss of an 18-year-old sister, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's hard to top that. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard to top that. Even the father dies of a heart attack, drops dead at you know, 50, right. what, 53 years old, yes. 52 years old, and then the loss of our mother right. of cancer, you know, walking out of her house and, and 30 days later, she's dead. Right. We've had tragedy in our lives. You know, everybody goes right. through loss. It's inevitable, right? right? The longer you live, you're going to go through loss in your life and you're going to have grief. But each, it could be different meanings, but it gives you a little bit more ability to be able to to deal with it. Yes. The immediately after, and when you're an adult and you go through loss, you have to make these decisions on what to do and what, and you're like, you're in no shape to make those decisions, but you're like forced to make all these, and some are really important decisions. Right. And everyone needs an advocate. Everyone needs a friend. An advocate that can say, "I wait, let's think through this. That's not connected. That's not emotionally right. connected. Or at least has a little bit more disconnect in the family than immediate loss, right? And I think that's so important to have somebody to say, be able to say, wait, don't they make that decision yes, yet? Yes, we need those advocates. You know? That's a great word for it too, right? And yeah. because they're, throughout this whole conversation, you know, it's like you started finding your support system or they would come to you or you would go to them. And it's the same with that, that timeline. You're so right because we tend to want to latch on to things or let me hurry up and do this when right. you're in a state that maybe that's not a, a great decision at the time. All of these pieces that you've shared today really take us through that journey and the ups and downs. And it's not a straight line. <laughs> it can right. be straight for a while and then it can turn around and do loop-de-loops all the way back. There's no real one way of grieving. Each one of us will deal with it differently, but there are silver linings and there's a path that will almost always lead you back to joy and hope and meaning. And that's that's what you have shared today on this podcast. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. I think once, if you can get over the hurdles, there's going to be life ahead that could give you more drive and whether that being when you get married and then you have that responsibility and you have kids and then you have all these things are, there's that cause and there's a, the effect and it gets you over the hump and it keeps and lets you keep on moving forward. Yep. And even if it's a baby step, I think that's the Absolutely. key is to take baby steps. Absolutely. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much. That was terrific. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Giving Grief a Voice with Maureen Desmond. We hope you'll follow our monthly program on Apple Podcasts or on any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us on givinggriefavoice.org, on Facebook and Twitter for links to materials referenced in this episode. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know needs grief coaching or consulting, Maureen is here to help. We'll see you next time.